Conversations on Campus deals with the issues and experiences of work on an Australian university campus. It's produced by the UTS branch of the National Tertiary Education Union. In this edition, we hear from inside the Hong Kong protest movement at a forum hosted by the NTU with Lee Chuk Yan, General Secretary of the Confederation of Hong Kong Trade Unions. The meeting took place on the 4th of December 2019 at the University of Technology, Sydney. My name is Vince Corley. I'm NTU branch president here at UTS. Before we start, I want to acknowledge that we're meeting today on Aboriginal land, the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, land that was never ceded. Uh, on behalf of the NTU, and I'm sure everyone here, I want to uh, warmly welcome Lee you. uh, to UTS and to extend our solidarity and support for the movement in Hong Kong. There really is no more important and fundamental struggle than the fight for democracy. Here in Australia, it was only in 1965 that all people won the right to vote in federal and state elections when Queensland granted Aboriginal people finally the right to vote. And as trade union members, we know that the struggle for democracy extends beyond parliamentary elections. For us, the right of working people to determine what happens in our workplaces and our society in general is an everyday and ongoing struggle. Now, it's no exaggeration, I think, to say that what's happening in Hong Kong right now is of world historical importance and we have to do everything we can to support the democracy movement in Hong Kong. It's not just a question of basic solidarity. As unionists, we know that the class struggle extends beyond national borders, but our, our societies are inextricably linked. China is Australia's largest trading partner. 40% of Australian exports end up in China. 20% of imports come from China, but obviously beyond trade and economics, our cultural links to China and Hong Kong go back a long way. And so what happens in Hong Kong really matters for all sorts of reasons. Without uh, further ado, I'd like to introduce uh, Lee Chuk Yan, who's a veteran Labor leader, General Secretary of the Hong Kong Confederation of Trade Unions. He's a former member of Legislative Council of Hong Kong, representing the New Territories West constituency for more than 20 years. He co-founded and is Vice Chair of the Labor Party, and he's also Secretary of the Hong Kong Alliance in support of patriotic democratic movements in China. Could you please make Lee welcome? Thank you. I'm glad that to be here because um, the last time when I was uh, just a few days ago in ANU, uh, my event was cancelled. And I'm glad that I have Lee's at a hall and a meeting room because at that time after cancellation, uh, we have to go to a cafe to... Uh, do the meeting, but then uh, the cafe, they said that some of the places are reserved, so I, we have to move from one place to another. But anyway, we finished the meeting uh, on that occasion, but um, I'm glad that at least uh, you know, we are able to have this, this meeting today. So what I'm trying to do, because uh, I hope that there can be more question and answer sessions, so I will be short, but I think current event in Hong Kong, I don't know whether I should fill it up, you know, sort of with more historical building up to today. 
instead of what is happening today, because everyone will know what happened out over the past six months uh, in the protest movement, and somehow also looking into the future uh, of the movement. And, and then uh, the current event, I think everyone uh, learned more about that. And uh, so I would start with somehow the background of the movement by talking about my own personal story, because I, I was um, starting from the colonial time, you know, uh, 1978, I graduated from university, and at that time, I was um, uh, uh, start my my lifetime mission as a labor organizer in Hong Kong. At that time, there was no um, national center of independent union, so the Hong Kong CTU that uh, now I'm the general secretary, uh, we form we found the Hong Kong HKCTU in 1990, and with my lifetime, it's the beginning of my life. It's all about struggling for workers' rights in Hong Kong. And also, at the same time, you cannot struggle for workers' rights without uh, fighting for democracy. And imagine the British had not any uh, political reform in the 80s. We, the Legislative Council at that time was all um, appointed. In 1985, they allowed some lawyer to go and the teachers to have elect some members but very minority, then there's no you know, universal suffrage for no popular election for the Legislative Council. So I start my life as um, the uh, fighting workers' rights and, and, and also for democracy. And then we tried to fight for the first election in Hong Kong Legislative Council in 1988, but we failed. You know, the British sold us out already at that time. Imagine 1988 is already uh, you know, 97 is only a few years, uh, 10 years ahead. And we still do not have any democracy in Hong Kong. And then, 1989, you know, the Tiananmen Square uh, massacre, before that, uh, I'm part of the, 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 I'm now still the secretary of the Hong Kong Alliance in support of patriotic democratic movement in China. So I'm the generation of Tiananmen Square uh, uh, movement, whereby we in Hong Kong try to support the the movement in China, uh, because we believe that, you know, that is a, the, it's like Hong Kong now today, when you imagine young people gathering in a square, the first time ever in China, uh, to fight for democracy, demanding for freedom, and then it's so moving when you said, the, 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 the journalists come out to say, we want to uh, tell, tell the world about the Hong, uh, Chinese, uh, our country about the truth. You know, uh, workers coming out saying that they want to protect the work, uh, student, uh, from attack by the army. So everyone is a world, you know, a whole country is up for, uh, for democracy. And for Hong Kong, we suddenly stop see the hope. If we are returning to China in 97, then, you know, if Tiananmen Square can, this, can democratize China, then the, 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 the dictatorship that worry everyone in Hong Kong will be less because then there's a hope. But and high hope is going to despair because the tank rolled into Tiananmen Square. So that's the background whereby the whole generation, my generation, wake up that we need to really uh, about Hong Kong and China and struggle for democracy. And up to 1997, you know, this is a time whereby we try to get uh, from the British the final days uh, more democracy. But the, the British, of course, are not willing to give uh, any commitment 
uh, they try, try to some token reform, and we get stuck in a system in 97 when they hand over to China, we get stuck in a system whereby we only have um, uh, a legislative council that are you know, half elected, and also the chief executive elected by, at that time, 400 elite, uh, but it had improved. This is really BS. It's an improved by having from 400 now is 1,200. Oh, big, big lip, three times of that bullshit, huh? Because, you know, imagine only three, you know, nowadays, after 22 years, only uh, 1,200 elites are allowed to vote into the, uh, the chief executive. So the chief executive are controlled completely by pro-Beijing, pro-business uh, uh, elite in Hong Kong. And they have been there, you know, strangling Hong Kong for over the past 20 years to their own interests. And so, uh, and also, Legislative Council only half elected by people, and the other half elected by this business elite. So, for for me personally, after Tiananmen Square, uh, we continue to fight for democracy uh, in China, supporting human rights uh, uh, in China, and also uh, in Hong Kong. Of course, we, as a union, we try to organize the workers uh, to continue our fight for workers' right and democracy, and um, uh, and and also legislative uh, labor law reform that benefits the workers. But, but the problem now for, is also a class problem for us. When there's no democracy, we try to fight for right to collective bargaining, right to working hours regulation. Imagine 100 years ago, the International Labor Organization already had won the first convention about working hours. Till today, this moment, in Hong Kong, there are no labor uh, working hours regulation. Why? Because, of course, the capitalists are all against it. When you go to Hong Kong, the bus driver drive, you know, the working hours of bus driver was 14 hours, some of them, imagine. And some of the, we got, we have a, a dog workers strike five years ago for 40 days. The dog workers work 24 hours shift. And they may work 40 hours, two shifts at the same because the, you know, they have to unload uh, from uh, in the port. It's so, and, and no, no, no regulation at all, nothing. Professional have to work very late. Uh, accountant, 15 hours a day, 16 hours a day. No overtime premium, nothing of that. And because then it's a, it's a class problem also, not just a democracy problem. And we are deprived of all that. And it's very unequal in society. Uh, for university students today, it's uh, all precarious employment after they graduate. In the university, you know, I think that you, we should have some exchange between our uh, NTEU, our part of NTEU, Hong Kong uh, Tertiary Education Federation, because 30% of the university staff, I don't know how it is here, are, 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 part, are, are contract workers. So 30%, it's a very high percentage. They, they don't have tenure, they don't have permanent job. Uh, in Hong Kong, and but it may be equally bad here, you know. So sometimes it doesn't work. Democracy doesn't work. We need to fight anyway, <laughs> and and so that's where we are, you know. And then over uh, over the past five, when we are get stuck in this system for so many years, no imp no no progress at all in democracy. The frustration you can uh, uh, imagine in the people of Hong Kong. We have the Umbrella Movement five years ago. And after that, there's no progress. And it's even worse. 
um, the Chinese government disqualified six legislators and disqualified all the candidates. How they disqualify? You know, when you get you sworn in, you know, an oath, and then they say that you are not sincere. Six of them are disqualified because they shout slogan maybe, or they, uh, they uh, say Hong Kong is not China. You know, laying on the table, or they said that uh, they when they sworn in, they say, I pledge allegiance. It's in Chinese, so it's no meaning. Each word, no meaning. So they are so angry. The, the Communist Party, of course, are very angry, and then. You know, it's free. It should be free. We should be free to express ourselves. But because of the oath, they use the National People Congress in Beijing to make a decision that this all this uh, legislators should be disqualified. And then, uh, so they 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 was out of office for 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 years. Uh, and then we have a by election and things like that. And they also disqualify candidates because. Even if you are a candidate, in the decision of the National People's Congress, they say, if you are insincere in the oath, you should be disqualified. But if you, and anyone that are insincere, if you, we thought that you are insincere, you look insincere, you look bad. So you should not be run, able to run for election. And uh, Joshua Wong or others uh, who, who want to have a referendum in Hong Kong about the future of Hong Kong, they are all being sort of called insincere and uh, not able to run for election. So that's what the squeeze, the squeezing of space for our freedom and our democratic changes is already there before the protest movement. And the people are feeling very frustrated. Uh, and then, you know, very much of uh, being, you have always the, the big brother of China always watching you and you heard about all the uh, cases of uh, 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 suppression of human rights. And then you heard about the bookseller case. I don't know whether you guys heard about bookseller case, where five one is uh, abducted, uh, kidnapped from uh, Thailand, one from Hong Kong, three arrested in China just because they published book in Hong Kong. And we are supposed to have a publication freedom, but they publish book, and one book they are publishing is called the Xi Jinping Love Affair. And of course, this is state secret. How can you know about the Xi Jinping Love Affair? And, and then they are, you know, all of them arrested and the whole thing, of course, uh, the whole Causeway Bay books store are all dissolved. And, and imagine, you know, this is the environment we live in before the protest movement. And then suddenly, you know, Carrie Lam trying to say that, oh, we need the extradition bill to get you guys who are seen as criminal in the eye of China. There are 36 crimes that are can extraditable back to China to be trialed. And everyone knows what it meant to be trial in, uh, put on trial in China. It would be torture, false confession, you know, all these have uh, and always happened in China against any one of the, uh, many of the political prisoners and everyone that are dissident, uh, are defiance of the Communist Party. I have, have gone through that. So, you know, in Hong Kong, people will know that, you know, um, if you get an extradition bill, um, you know, the Chinese judicial system cannot be trusted at all. So we resist sending back Hong Kong people back to China to trial. And uh, of course, the ones that are benefiting from our fight, who are really, I think, I'm a bit angry with them, is that they are the ones that actually have more things to worry. Uh, we, are, we as political activists, of course, should, should worry, you know, but 
I'm I'm banned from traveling to China, so in a way, they can, they if they want to grab me, they have to come to Hong Kong to grab me, but not I I, I cannot go back to China for them to to, to arrest me. But the problem with uh, the, the businessman actually is the one that are very much worried because they are the one that bribe their way into China to make business. But then they are worried about extradition bill, but they do not come out to fight. And uh, they, they let us fight their battle. But finally, we, we won. And then, so the one that really off the hook, of course, is the whole Hong Kong. But the one that is most vulnerable, actually, it's a big business uh, in Hong Kong that bribed their way into China. But then, you know, of course, they are happy. But they still, they never side with the people. They never side with us in our fight for democracy. Though they know that under the Communist Party, if they get the extradition bill, they will be the one that are really worrying. And one of, the, one of them even go to a judicial review to demand that um, uh, the, China, uh, the Hong Kong government should not make that law. So... And, and that's the context of the protest movement. And now, you know, uh, six months had gone by. Uh, the, the, the major problem or major uh, anger or the problem now facing us is that the police escalate the violence con- um, to a very, you know, un- uh, uh, brutal and very horrendous extent, you know, shooting people at point blank. And uh, there are people who are shot at the... Uh, one three, three centimeter uh, aside from the heart, and uh, some shot in the stomach, and then with light bullet. And the tear gas is 10,000 tear gas already. 10,000 round tear gas. And there's a joke in Hong Kong now, you know, do you want buffet? Buffet lunch, you always have buffet lunch. Do you want buffet tear gas? Come to Hong Kong. You will have that uh, tear gas everywhere. And there's a public health issue also now. And, and also the, uh, the arrest, they have arrested 6,000, prosecuted about 1,000, uh, injured people we do not really have, uh, have the count because you cannot trust the hospital counting. Now what happens is when you get injured, you do, you do not dare to go to hospital, public hospital, because you are worried that you will get arrested in the hospital. And because of that, there's also a danger to the protester. When you get injured, you have to find the underground clinic or private clinic to help you because you don't trust the hospital. And that's this very disastrous because, you know, the, the, uh, the infrastructure should be in the hospital. Uh, and, and that is the extent of the injury. And we do not really know how many because, the, you know, you can only count the hospital uh, injured people. And, 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 and the, 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 um, the police beating up people, arresting people, you know, they are defenseless, then they crack your bones, they beat your skull and everything, and then there are, uh, uh, you know, uh, allegations of gang rape in the police station. Uh, but, of course, we are trying to try to find evidence, but, and also, of course, the, uh, the victim to help the victim to sue in the, co- in a, in, in, in the court. But all this are happening. And, and, but still, you know, the people are not deterred in, in the fight. And, uh, and, but it's very, very much worrying for, for, for us that there are too, so many sacrifices of the, of the young people that it really hurt us. And, and how, the threat, how, how will we, how to go forward is, of course, always a question. There's no ground for negotiation because I don't think the Communist Party will negotiate. And, and actually, the demand is very clear. 
Uh, we want an independent inquiry, committee of inquiry into police violence. Uh, we want that. And, uh, but the, the, the government is not willing to do that. And so if, unless there's something to solve the police, uh, the, the justice to the police violence, uh, the, the anger or, or the, uh, the, the confrontation will always be there uh, because there's no justice in Hong Kong. And when the police beat you up, you, they hide all their identity. So you cannot really find who is responsible for the violence. And that, and that is where we're stuck now in. We are not going to get anything from the government. Chinese government has announced that they want to play hardball. They, want to, they said that Hong Kong is a national security problem. So what will they do in the future? And uh, uh, I think uh, their, perp their objective is that they, we still have the economic usefulness for China. Still, the Alibaba just get listed in Hong Kong. So we still have that. But then what they want to do is to integrate Hong Kong into what they call the Great Bay Area so, so that we are not even economically useful. If we are not economic strategic for China or useful for China, you know, they will be even more brutal, more harsh. People ask me why the, the PLA, the People's Liberation Army, had not been sent into Hong Kong. Firstly, I said they don't need to. The police is at best at the, as the PLA. And secondly, they still, don't, they still have some usefulness for Hong Kong. And they don't want to you know, sort of you know, destroy Hong Kong completely because their money is here. Their own money, you know, it's not the Communist Party had a lot of money in Hong Kong, the official had a lot of money in Hong Kong. So there's still some usefulness in getting foreign direct investment. But what happens if there's no, no usefulness? Therefore, they are trying to integrate Hong Kong into China. It may take some time, but what happened after 10 years, 20 years, we do not know. And then they will try to get Hong Kong to get into more national security consciousness or law framework that suppress the people of our freedom of expression by using national security, which we have always fought in Hong Kong against any national security consideration or law. And, and thirdly, I think you know, democratic reform is to the Chinese Communist Party, they would, it is really completely our question now, at this stage. Xi Jinping, when, the, when you look at Xi Jinping, uh, there's no opening up at all in China. And I always say, if in China, they are harsh on human rights, they are not opening up politically, we cannot expect them to, them to be sort of, you know, honoring their promise of democracy in Hong Kong. Because firstly, if Hong Kong democracy and China is still close and really suppressive, you know, the, you know, people of China will question why Hong Kong has democracy and they cannot. And, and, and secondly, you know, they are worried that, uh, uh, about Hong Kong out of control in national security issue. They are worried about people using Hong Kong as a base to subvert China, which had always been the case. I hope that we can maintain that, of course. But they, will, they, they are really don't want Hong Kong to turn into that so-called subversive base. And therefore, they want a national security legislation in Hong Kong, which we are res resisting. So all this are happening. So they, democratic reform <coughs> will continue to fight. Chinese Communist Party the, is always there to suppress it. So the fight will go on. People will say, like to ask me how it will end. No one will know how it will end. For me, I would well, hope that it will end by our victory. But no one knows. It's a David Goliath situation. But 
to be optimistic. Goliath finally fell, fell. So we may, the Communist Party may finally fell. So we, the David can be in a victorious situation. <coughs> but we do not know. So it's a hard fight ahead. And in this hard fight, we need the international support. That's why I'm here. But I think that for my impression of Australian politics, I was in Cam Canberra <coughs> for two days. And, uh, and that two days, I think my impression is that um, there are good people around, you know, saying that they support our cause. But I feel some hesitation in, as, a, as a whole machinery of the Labour Party or the Liberal Party to go ahead, all ahead, not to talk about the government, you know, even the, the parliamentarian, they have some hesitation of going forward for, for, for us in Hong Kong. And I think the question for the Australian is that, you know, uh, values or money. You may short term get money, but long and, and but you long term you lose your value. And in the long term, if the world lose their values of universal value of freedom and democracy and authoritarian rule over the world, then uh, uh, good luck to you guys then. You know, we, we have been through that. We are living under authoritarian rule and, and, and we really know what it means, especially if you look at China, it's even worse. When you look at a Uyghur, one million Uyghur in concentration camp, you, it's even worse. And, but so the Australian, I think, have to make a choice. Which side are you on? You know, and I hope that more can speak out for Hong Kong and stand with Hong Kong as the slogan here say. You know, fight for freedom and stand, stand, stand with Hong Kong. So I will end here and thank you for um, being here. And I hope that my last question is a challenge to all of us. You know, which side, are, whose side are we on? And I think everyone have to make a decision all over the world, authoritarian or uh, universal value of democracy. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Um, hello, everybody. My name is Christina Ho. I work here in um, Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences. Um, I was born in Hong Kong and came here as a young child. Um, and I have to say, this year, I've never felt more proud <laughs> to have been born in Hong Kong. Um, but I've also never felt more terrified to be, um, you know, to be witnessing what's happening in Hong Kong. So I'm very honoured to be okay. here uh, talking with you, Lee. Um, and just a reminder that if you do have a question, um, Richard and Kobe are collecting questions, and I'm happy to. But um, while you're thinking of your questions, I will kick us off with a yeah. few. Um, and I guess um, you've been talking about some of the history of the protest movement, and we've been watching this, you know, um, every day, you know, um, on the news. In your mind, how would you see the? Um, the evolution of the public support for the movement. How has how has the public support for the movement evolved over the last six months? I think it's very important that actually Hong Kong, of course, had all the marches for many years, and and what quite one one challenge for us is that you know which I would say legitimate in the sense that you know after you know we have not really been successful under the Communist Party rule for I sadly I'm you know. Uh, I spent my lifetime fighting them, but um, we have not yet won. 
and the younger generation will ask us, you know, um, you know, maybe uh, we need a new tactics, you know. And so I think the, the, the evolution this time is quite interesting in the sense that uh, there are two, you know, we have the peaceful marches. We have twice the peaceful marches. On, there's a turning point, I think, is June 12th. It's very important in the whole tactical consideration of the movement. Uh, June 9th, we have one million people march. And uh, I think my, I, I have marched for many times. And I think June, March, uh, June 9th march is even stronger than the zero free uh, anti-national security law march. And similar to that of Tiananmen Square, I think comparable to Tiananmen Square time, uh, but maybe even more. Um, and so people will think, oh, we have the already the strongest public opinion in Hong Kong. But Carrie Lam on that night, 11 p.m., uh, announced that they are, he, she is not going to back down. So one of the very important factor that of the whole movement is that Carrie Lam always make the wrong decision and never willing to make concession. And, and therefore, on June 12, people surrounded the Legislative Council. And uh, we have uh, a lot of people, 100,000 are surrounding. And uh, we have rallies in different areas around the, around the um, building. And then the police begin to tear gas everyone there when there's some storming in trying to storm into the Legislative Council. And, uh, and, and then the police try to disperse. But then the people do not leave, and that, I think, is a crucial thing. When there's a lot of tear gas, you know, boom, tear gas, people retreat back, retreat back, and it takes a whole day uh, of uh, fight. And then after that, <clears throat> the, the success of that day is that the Legislative Council cannot go on uh, the, the usual meeting. So the bill cannot be debated on that day, or the, the first reading. Uh, they, cannot, they cannot do the first reading on that day. And then after that, we have the June 16th uh, march. And before that, uh, Carrie Lam sort of said that they will, he will delay the bill, but not to say when. So everyone, of course, is unhappy. You just say delay. So then there will be the June 16th, 2 million people march. Uh, that the scale is far more than a night, night. So the evolution is like that, you know, peaceful, uh, more crashing, and then uh, uh, peaceful, and then does not work, and then the debate is maybe we have to crash. And then the second consensus is that uh, those who are for peaceful marches, we should not condemn those who are on what we call braver, or those who want to crash. And then Originally, you know, the, 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 the uh, so-called traditional wisdom of Hong Kong is that the people of Hong Kong are so, too, so peaceful that they cannot accept more violent type of confrontation. But then it proved that it's not true. Why? Because every time uh, the police make a so much mistake, every time there's some violence on our part, so-called. But police is more violence. And the people are angry with the police more than they are angry with the protester. And then you can imagine the scale of violence is completely different. And even if we go to the stage of Molotov cocktail, you know, the people of Hong Kong say, you know, you know they have beaten up people, crashed uh, on scout, they unleashed the 
and what we call the white, white, white shirt guy, because not just they are unleashing the police, they are unleashing triad, the gangster, beat up innocent people on the street. And on that day, June, July 21st, that is also a turning point when, when the gangster beat up hundreds in the MTR station, the police are not to be found around. And the police know about the gangster going to beat up people because it's so clear that they are gathering outside of the station in the afternoon already. And in the social media, everyone knows what, there will be something happening tonight. And the police, of course, know, but they are nowhere to be found. So where's the police when we need you? And then when we don't need you, when we are marching peacefully, you tear gas us. When we don't need you, you are there. When we need, we, we need you, you are not there. So this is why the evolution, back to your question, is every time there's an a, a escalation on our part, the police escalate even more. And so people will think that, you know, this police uh, deserve uh, more Molotov cocktail to a certain extent. And also the Molotov cocktail is a, uh, a sort of a defense mechanism. You know, when, they will re when the people retreat, you know, they want to stop the police from com coming in to get the people. So it's only to stop the police to a certain extent. So I think that the toleration of you know, violence is far more higher. And then we have a recent election. We, uh, we get 57% uh, uh, of the votes, 87% of the seats, seat, which is unprecedented. And uh, especially the seat uh, is unprecedented because the voter turnout is so high of 70%, 70%. So the toleration, I think, is there. And the public opinion is still on the side of the protest. And, and I think the, the, it also radicalized the whole Hong Kong movement in the sense that you know, when you see people getting hurt, you get angry and you get radicalized against this regime. And, and so this go on. Okay, so um, speaking about the election, um, we have one question here about the results of the election, and in particular, this is an area I think you're familiar with, the West New Territories bordering Shenzhen. Um, is that the only district that did not flip to the Democrats? Can you comment on the... No, it flipped all. The only one that did not flip is the outlying islands, you know, which is um, uh, some uh, uh, islands outside, you know, which is not... Maybe they have not, the, the reason that they have not flipped, maybe they have not tasted the tear gas there. So the police had not gone to the outlying island to tear gas the people there, but they tear gas everywhere, including the New Territory of the West. And it's surprising, the New Territory of the West in, uh, is which are my constituency. Um, we can get 60% of vote in legislative council, uh, not a problem. Um, but in district council, because the last election, maybe I have explained a bit, is a, a district council election had never been attractive to the voter. It's only 40% voter turnout because it's nothing to do with the politics. It's more to do with the local consultative about the garbage and about the uh, uh, recreation activities. But they don't have even any power, like, not like a mayor here, you know, or not like a uh, city council here. So people tend not to turn out. But this time, the, we, we call on the crowd, the people of Hong Kong, I, we, we, we try to present it as a referendum. Everyone knows that this is a referendum because that's the only time you can vote 
452 seats, one-to-one, -one, not proportional representation. It's a first-past-the-post type of uh, election. And then we get 87%. We, in the past, we have, have pandemic have only about 120, 130, out of 452. Now it's flipped completely different. You know, they get only about 70 seats. We get about 380-something. So uh, it's a complete flip. And it's not just the uh, uh, new territory of West that also flip. It's only like one 18 district, we have only one that we do not get the majority. And that is the outlying island. So it's very, very good result. And vote to turn it 70%. And so uh, it's a good referendum to our. But again, again, the problem is, so what? The government do not make any concession. And so this time they make another mistake. Every time they do something, when the public opinion is very strong on something, they do not do anything. Or even they do something stupid and angry the people. And then, and then people will ask, again, I think, what's the use of voting? It's again back to the street. So this is always a problem that, you know, uh, for us, of course, we will say that both are important. Political gain as a base is important because you can do political education. You can organize the people. Uh, in the long run, you have a political base. But it's also important uh, to have guerrilla warfare to a certain extent, I mean on the street. So both are important, and, 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 and we, I think, now the movement has certain uh, 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 a victory in the, in the political base part, but it's not enough to really have change, so we need both to go on. Okay, thanks. Well, we've got a bunch of questions here about um, the role of the union movement and possibilities of working class mobilization as part of the democracy movement. So, for instance, um, whether there's been a role played by the Confederation of Trade Unions to win over the Hong Kong police in terms of addressing police brutality or um, trying, to get, trying to get questions around um, labour issues, inequality, housing shortages, potentially um, more uh, possibilities of general strikes. How would you characterise the, the relationship of you know, labour issues in terms of the broader protest movement? Um, uh, firstly, police, of course, is not uh, on our side. You know, I don't think I can organize the police. The Communist Party organized them so well. Uh, because uh, what happened to the police is that, firstly, uh, the Communist Party is very good at infiltration in every aspect of life in Hong Kong. And one thing is they did is on the civil servant and the police and the uh, disability forces. Every year, I don't know how many, you know, hundreds or thousands of them are being now have a, a training course in China to train them on what is Chinese, uh, the Chinese Communist Party, what is Chinese politics. So you have to, uh, there's a, and some union actually, pro-Beijing union or independent union, not from the CTU, uh, they also get training from China. They are not trained by us. Uh, Chinese invite them to dinner, to free trip in China. So if you want to have free trip to China, form a union that kowtow to Communist Party, not, and never join the CTU. If you join the CTU, don't have those dinner and, and, and free trip. So that's the way they have done it. They are very good at it. So the police had always been on the side of the, of the, of the Chinese Communist Party to a certain extent. 
And then also the police, uh, recently there's someone who get a gun and you know, try to shoot at people and very, you know. And then he was invited to the national parade of the Communist Party during the 17th anniversary on October 1st. So Chinese government are police, police, uh, very good at that, you know, getting you to be very happy with, uh, with going to the people hall, maybe. You know, I think it also applies to some of the international union, to be honest. You know, I'm sometimes disappointed with some of our union colleagues in, over the world going to the people hall to have dinner with the ACFTU. But that's the problem, firstly. You know, so we cannot get that. The second question about union, on all, about general strike, uh, we have tried to get a general strike on August 5th. And, and uh, uh, the CTU uh, called upon our members to do that. But I think the problem with general strike now is that there's a fearful uh, uh, impact or aftermath of the August 5th. What happened after August 5th? We have a very strong shutdown of the uh, airport. The airport shut down because our flight attendants union, our pilots union, uh, get on strike. I think one third of them get on strike. Uh, the the air traffic controller get on strike. But what happened after is that our chairman of the Cafe Dragon union was being dismissed. <clears throat> Altogether, seven pilots were dismissed. Uh, then 30 of other members are dismissed. And the reason for the dismissal is very simple. On your Facebook post, you have participated in, you have supported the movement. Is this your Facebook post? Yes? Bye-bye. <clears throat> you are not even have free, who have free information, uh, expression in, 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 in Hong Kong. And the way they do it, <clears throat> why the Cafe Pacific do it? Because the Chinese uh, Aviation Authority told Cafe Pacific, if you want to fly to China, make sure that those who fly to China are not illegal protesters. But of course, you, how can Cafe Pacific know that they, whether they are illegal protesters? Of course, they do not know. But then they have to so-called, what in Chinese we call, you know, um, submit the head to the Communist Party. I sacked 30 something of them. You know, all, one pilot was uh, a, a guy that arrested during the protest and they, they, they sacked him. So the, there's a fear. The problem with the, the, the trade union movement in Hong Kong, we don't have, of course, protection <coughs> on political strike or even economic strike, we don't have uh, adequate protection. So for the CTU, we always said, if you go on strike, you make sure you are the majority. And if you are the majority, you don't, and you should, you cannot, do not need to be fearful about the uh, retaliation from an employer, of course. But still, you know, uh, because Communist Party know that, that we can go on strike, and then how they can stop it is by threatening the workers. And then uh, uh, the Cafe Pacific Flight Attendance Union, our chairman chairperson, uh, also included, was being dismissed. And so now we are also on another stage. And the stage is that uh, how we can go on as a union movement to support the, uh, the, the protest. Can we have another general strike? But there's a fear. And then there's a good thing about the movement, which uh, caught me 
caught me by surprise to a certain extent is that there are workers uh, being organized by telegram group. That's a new way of organizing in Hong Kong. Uh, we organize in a traditional way from economic struggle. Now there's a new way of organizing is from political struggle. They have all this, the telegram group is so uh, now popular in Hong Kong. You know, everyone has its telegram group. Can you just explain what telegram is in case people don't understand? Uh, telegram is like WhatsApps, but the telegram group is good in the sense that, uh, you know, firstly, you have the telegram group, you, you can, you know, sort of, uh, you don't have to use your real name, you have a fake name, and then you register in the Telegram group. So as a secret group, you can be. And also, second thing is good about Telegram group is they have one that we call a Telegram channel. In WhatsApp, you can only send to 250 people. But Telegram channel means that you once you are subscribed to the channel, there can be 100,000 people subscribing to the channel. So the whole protest movement actually is organized by Telegram group, Telegram channel, Linden, what they call Linden is a social media platform where you can push your idea. So now there's a group called, which is quite interesting. I hope I can employ him as a CTU organizer. There's a group called Two Million Strike. Uh, two million people go on a strike on Telegram. But of course I told them that you cannot do everything on Telegram, of course, you know. But uh, they try to get people mobilized on Telegram. And the interesting thing about this group or the past activities is that people begin to feel that they need to organize a union in order to go on strike. With a union, you can have union fund for strike and you have an organization for striking. And what the challenge for the CTU is, how we can combine the two. We start from workplace organizing the CTU to, to striking. We need to do the other way around from striking political strike down to workplace organizing. So the, that's where class come in. <clears throat> that's where the workers issue come in. How can, when we are doing the workers struggle over the past for better working, uh, you know, law or labor, uh, change in labor law or working hours regulation, collective bargaining, right? Now there's a chance for us to start from the political mobilization down back to workplace organization. So the bank now are organized for the first time in the history of Hong Kong. We have a finance sector union that organized and we are asking them, you know, okay, you guys very good at mobilizing people for, for, for protests and uh, some of them have gone on strike in the past. The next station, can you negotiate with the Hong Kong bank, the big bank? Can we really start also from solving the workers problem? We have an IT union, new, new ones uh, joining the CTU. The IT union had a lot of problems. Uh, they are agency workers. So, re and the agency workers is very much of precarious and also very much of a squeezing on the workers. And, 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 but the government employed the agency to employ them. And we always challenge why the government do not directly employ the IT workers. And they have to do it through the recruitment agency. So these are sort of issues that we discuss with them. So from political mobilization back down to workplace and workplace organization go back to political uh, mobilization. <clears throat> so we need to do both in the future. So that is the uh, development at this stage. We, that's, we see an opportunity, but we also see the, the challenges and the crisis is that 
you know, the Chinese Communist Party is really watching at how the workers go on in the future. So uh, they, they will also try to suppress more. I think the Chinese capital in Hong Kong will suppress more of the workers' <coughs> rights and activities, and that will be a challenge for us. We should probably um, wrap things up, but um, I think the last few questions that I've got here are, are a lot about what we can do in Australia, um, and especially what solidarity looks like, international solidarity, apart from raising awareness, uh, speaking out, uh, what kinds of things can we do? And I thought I would just perhaps wrap things up by saying, well, you know, in the university sector, um, Lee, you mentioned that there is a certain hesitancy that you've uh, you know observed in Canberra about speaking up about China, and I think that in the university sector um, we're particularly um, vulnerable in a lot of ways because of the reliance on uh, dollars fr from Chinese international students and research collaborations. This university um, you know, is very reliant on um, money from China, and I think that that has led to you know, some reticence in terms of people um, you know, being critical and asking sometimes some pretty basic questions fundamental questions about who we're collaborating with in terms of research partnerships. Um, you know, universities are desperate for money. Um, and I think that we should look to the example of the Hong Kong people who, in the face of enormous challenge, are out there on the streets every day, putting their lives on the line. And I think, um, you know, for me as a university worker, um, it's, a real, it's a real inspiration to be able to see what's happening in the streets of Hong Kong and to see what we can do in our own small way to be speaking up. Um, and, you know, even in the face of, you know, um, a university that's highly reliant on, um, on China, on money from China, you know, we do still have the, the freedom and we have the obligation to be asking some, some, pretty, uh, some pretty basic questions about, you know, our involvement with the kinds of activities um, that people in Hong Kong are protesting about. So um, on that note, can I please thank say thank you so thank much you. Uh, for being here. Thank you. Conversations on Campus is produced by the UTS branch of the National Tertiary Education Union. For more information, visit nteu.org.au slash UTS.